0: Well good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Thanks. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Corey Johnston and I um I was at one point the Trailhead Church planting resident. I was the first uh, church planting resident, which means I was the guinea pig. Okay, and so we uh, we figured out what not to do and what to do um, with me. And so since then, it's been amazing. Um, you all have sent us out, even as a mentioned offering and being a church that gives. You you support our church at, at least five hundred dollars a month for almost two years now. So thank you um, for that. You've actually helped pay my mortgage, which is a like it's a real thing that takes place, right? Called mission and. And so local mission, so we planted Heights Church um, out of Trailhead Church, and um, Pastor Steve, is he's been to me what many men have not, in that I was not raised by a dad, and so I didn't have a father growing up, and, and Steve stepped in and More ways than I could have ever imagined and became that man for me. And so he's more um, than just a pastor. He's brothered me. He's fathered me. He's pastored me. He taught me uh, my identity and what it meant to be a Christian, as we're going to talk about today. Um, He taught me what it looked like to love my wife well, to love my kids well, how to take all this theology and a master's in theology and like if you ever been to grad school, like they just give you like a toolbox and they're like, all right, go figure it out, right? It's kind of what it looks like. And he's like, well, here's how you actually use these tools, bro. And I don't want you to blow this thing up before we get started. And so, um, and so he has loved me well. And so in that, I just I want to say thank you um, for allowing me to be here. I, I am not your pastor, um, but I am um, highly honored to be able to stand in his place um, today and share God's word with you. And so. Thank you. Um, Secondly, what I want to do, just to kind of help me feel at home, at at Heights Church, we do things a little different. um, And one of those things that we do is that we stand for the reading of God's Word. And so if you're able, I just want to invite you to stand with me, um, just in authority for God's Word, if you're able to do so. And I'm going to read to you from um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 15-15. through 23, so it's a little bit to read, but it'll be on page 976 in your supplied Bibles, and if you could keep those out throughout the duration of the sermon, um, we will refer to that text a lot. Another thing we do at Heights is they talk to me, so whenever you got it, say "Got got it. If you don't got it, say I don't got it. It's not the best grammar, but it works. All right, here we go. For this reason, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. You all can take a seat. Thank you for standing with me. So today I want to, um, I just want to, I want to step through this text. I know you all are in like your 73rd week of Acts, and so... Um, believe it or not, you can preach more than one verse or word a week. And so um, we're going to do it. It's going to be amazing. All right. It's going to be super cool and new for you. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to do this. We've just been setting in the book of Ephesians at Hyde's church. And so I've set in some of this, but um, I kind of took this week and just really set in it for myself a little bit and then asked the Lord what might the spirit want Trailhead to know. And so this is what I feel like he gave um, to me to give over to you. And so we're just going to dive in. And the the first point of the text is that belief precedes behavior. And so in our culture, we regularly think that our behavior is actually what drives our identity. Um, When I spent two years here, um, Steve was teaching me, no, 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 like, uh, uh, because uh, teaching the word of God does not make you a pastor. Like you are first and foremost, you're a Christian. You should love Jesus and desire Jesus and know all you can about Jesus. And then Jesus will use those things and he will pull different characteristics out of you or character traits out of you. And he might allow you to be a pastor one day. But first and foremost, you're called to Jesus. And then you're called to your wife and then your kids and then whatever your vocation may be, that he is your identity first and foremost. And so this is what Paul is getting to in verse 15 when he says, for this reason, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward, what does that say, all of the saints. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so Paul kicks off this this pastoral prayer right here where he says, for this reason. So what what the heck does that mean, right? For this reason. What we didn't read was the first 14 verses because we don't have time to go through all of that. We can do 15 through 23. We can't do 1 through 23. That's just blasphemous at that point. okay. And so what he says in the first verses that we did not read is really beautifully written scripture, guys. And it is 202 words in the Greek. And Paul lays out 202 words on what it actually means to believe in Jesus, to have identity in Christ. It's 202 actually poorly written words. It's really, really bad grammar in the Greek. There's no periods. It's all commas. He's just on this rant, and he's just, like, yelling at the church of Ephesus from a prison cell, super excited about their identity in Jesus. And so it's 202 words, though, that's written. um, That's some of the most beautifully written words ever. And now you're like, man, I wish we would have read that stuff, right? It sounds good. Um, What's amazing about even those verses, some religious scholars would say that that if we lost the whole Bible— that that first 15 verses in Ephesians would be sufficient to sustain our faith. That's how beautifully written, how deep it is. There's even um, atheists and agnostic philosophers that, that are not even Christians that say that that's some of the most beautifully um, written literature of all time. Because it points to, like Paul is pointing this people to the intimacy of Jesus Christ and what it means to actually have identity in Christ. And he lays it out and he says some really awesome things like we are called in grace by Jesus Christ. And we are adopted into the family by Jesus Christ. And we're to receive an inheritance as sons. That means we receive the full inheritance of Jesus Christ as his People. He says things like, we've been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that sent Jesus to do what? To live the life we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve to die. And so Paul is in this full-blown rant in the first part of chapter one. He's also in this full-blown rant in the second part of chapter one, which is also written really poorly in grammar as well. But Paul is laid out here, he says, for this reason, right? Because of your identity, because of your belief that's been given to you by Jesus, I can't stop praying for you. I'm so excited for you, church. And then secondly, he says, not just your identity, not just your belief, not just your faith, but also your, be- your behaviors. Not just faith, but also your behaviors. He said, your love for what? All of the saints, right? He didn't say some of the saints, he didn't say that the saints that you get along with or the saints that you sit next to every week, you know, Christians have like their same seat every week. It's assigned. you know, and he's like, not just those saints, not just the ones that sound like you or talk like you or smell like you or into the same things that you're into. But he says your love for all of the saints. You see how hard that would even be, right? He says your love for all of the saints. He says your belief has driven your behavior. Your identity has driven your behavior. Your faith is driving your love. Um, Tim Keller says it like this. He says, You're saved by faith, not by fruit, but no one is saved by fruitless faith. I'll read it to you again. You're saved by faith, not fruit, but no one is saved by fruitless faith. And so this whole idea that Paul is steering in us is this idea that belief always precedes our behaviors. Faith always precedes fruit. I read a a commentator even this week, and he says um, belief and love are the eyes and the arms by which we see and by which we also get to embrace Jesus. Like Christians, this is what separates us from the rest of the world, is faith and love and belief and our behaviors. And these two always work themselves together, right? Like one one of the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love right it's just an identity um it's part of being in christ and so here comes the the conviction right brace yourselves here it comes this is where pastors back you into a corner right how do you do it at loving all of the saints how do you do it loving all of the saints right so not the ones that you get along with not the ones you just sit next to but the ones that are different than you how are you doing at loving them or the ones that, that um, are still sitting in sin, just like all of us, we all struggle with sin, but their sin's just a little bit different than yours. How do you do at actually loving them well? Or the Star Wars fan, or the gamer, or the hockey fanatic. Sorry for blues fans, but. Or the helicopter mom, you know? How are you doing at loving all the saints? How are you doing at loving all the saints in your community group? Or, how are you doing at loving um, all the saints or serving, I want to say, all the saints in your community group? Do you actually spend time praying for the saints that are in your community group? Community group leaders, I'm sure there's some of you in here. I don't know all of you anymore. How are you doing at loving them well? At praying for them, at serving them, at asking them questions, at engaging their family, or do we just wait for them to show up once a week? How do we do it actually loving all of the saints? Do you talk with all of the saints? Do you pray for and look forward to seeing all of the saints? Like I read this and I think, no. (laughs) Some of the saints are really annoying, right? And they're really hard to get along with. Even as a pastor, right? They're, They're really difficult. Sheep bite, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard sometimes. And so it's really hard to love everyone well. But the gospel leads us to faith and to love. To um, belief and then also to behavior, but faith and love, and it's faith in Jesus, Paul has said, and then love for all of the saints. And this is important for us to know because you can find good community anywhere. But faith and love is what actually separates us from the rest of the world, okay? And so, like my wife and I, we love to do CrossFit. Phenomenal community if you do CrossFit, far more inviting than the church most times. But faith and love is what separates my wife and I from many of the people, men and women, that we do CrossFit with. Faith and love is what separates us um, from the golf course. Or faith and love is what separates us from um, the church, from PTA meetings, or any other event that we go to where we're longing for and, and trying to find joy in community. And Paul says, you found this joy, and I see it in your identity, and I see it being lived out by the way that you're actually loving all of the saints. And so faith and love is what will always separate, just two simple markers that always separate the church from, from everything else. The world teaches us, though, something different, doesn't it? And so the world teaches us to be what's called hedonistic. You might know what hedonistic means. Yeah, I had to Google it too, right? And so, I'm just kidding. Hedonistic means that's where we, we search out joy for the good pleasure of finding joy for ourselves. Hedonistic means we search joy for the good pleasure of simply finding joy. You could also just say love yourself. This is what the world teaches us. Don't really worry so much about loving other people, but just love yourself really well. And so why do you follow the blues team, right? Some bandwagon fans in here. Why do you follow the blues team whenever they're successful and you didn't follow them the rest of the year? Because they were successful. Because there was joy that came with that. And there was community that was found. And there was parties that had. And there was free beer to be given. And there's all these things that were attractive. That's hedonistic. That's whenever we follow something for the good pleasure of simply finding joy for ourselves. as part of loving ourselves. And the world says that you should do this. But the gospel says don't do that. The gospel says our our faith and love should drive us to be a radically diverse and growing church, which Trailhead is becoming, which is amazing to see after not being here for two years. The gospel says that whenever people walk in, they should look around and they should think, man, this place looks like our culture. It's a representative of of our culture. There's black people and there's white people and there's Hispanic people and there's students and there's singles and there's married people. This is a diverse place. They must have found love. There's something about them where they're engaging one another and loving one another, and I'm attracted to that. I might not even believe in the God that they say they believe in, but there's something attractional about the way they love one another. This is what faith and love does. It breeds diversity in the church, and it leads us outside of our comfort zones, and it brings non-Christians, or not-yet-Christians as we call them in their heights, to faith in Jesus. A simple way to live on mission is simply to exercise your belief through exercising love. You guys tracking It's a really beautiful thing that Paul has given us. And the world says, no, that's not good. You need self-love. Don't love one another. Just love self. Be hedonistic. Find joy for yourself. Pursue things for yourself. But if we would just love the saints, Paul says, if we would just love one another well, man, that is contagious. That is something far different than what we see in culture. When we see people being self-sacrificial, it's far different. But when we love people, we we want to love them hedonistically, right? I'm going to keep driving this in. We want to love people for kind of self-joy sometimes. And so what happens whenever you serve someone well or you lay your life down for someone? What do they do? How do they respond? They're like, oh, man, thank you so much. I can't believe you made me this bomb casserole. This is the best casserole I've ever had. Thank you for loving me. Thanks for loving my kids. I think I just came to faith in Jesus. Somebody baptized me, right? Like, that's not what they do, is it? When we serve people, that's what we want them to do, right? In our own self-gratification. But what do they do? Thanks. Right? Like we go and we serve and we make meals. and We do meal calendars. We do all these things. And in our hearts, we're like, yeah, I want to feel good about it. I want that pat. I want that gold star. You know? And, and they're like, what? Thanks. And the reason we feel let down about that is because that we serve people not quite out of love, but more out of a hedonistic desire to find joy for ourselves. That's called self-gratification and self-righteousness. And, and this is what happens regularly, and the, and the reason this kind of uh, messes us up is because whenever our life is built around constantly keeping score, we continue to feel let down. Instead of letting our belief drive our behaviors, our behavior, we want to drive our belief. We want self-gratification, and it says that if I serve my friends and I serve people, and then, then people will know that, that I'm loving if, if I act a certain way, people will know that I am loving. Instead of first thinking, no, I've been loved unconditionally and eternally by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then that propels me and frees me to love people really well. It's just a subtle shift in our thoughts. And so we think about this all the time as the church, and the church across America has bred people to, to think hedonistic, right? Show up to church and drink coffee, but heaven forbid, like, don't make coffee, to show up and drink it or show up and enjoy the church gathering. The Sunday gathering is absolutely for you, and it is for you. It's for edification of the saints. But the church gathering is is for you, but don't actually show up on time. Wait till the band hits the third song or or liturgy or right about the time offering starts, right? And and every church in America is like this where we just naturally show up late because we have this hedonistic view of it's for me. It's meant to just bring me joy instead of it's for God's glory and ultimately and then for my joy as well. Or we view community groups the same way. I'm going to go to my community group, but I'm not ever going to host that thing. Right, I'm gonna let the host host. They they let them be. You do you. I do me. I'm just gonna show up to this thing, or I'm gonna bring food, college student. But I'm only gonna bring chips. I'm not ever gonna bring anything else. Okay, it doesn't happen here in Eversville, Collinsville, We don't have as much money, you know. So we just be bringing <laughs> chips and stuff. Or I'll sit in that circle of, of of people that I call family, and I'll just use Christian jargon, and I won't actually open my heart to to what's actually taking place in my life, because heaven forbid, the Spirit of God might want to show up and, and do something in this moment with this group of people. I won't ask hard questions. I'll keep things surface. I'll clock in. I'll clock out. I'll do the right things. People will see my behaviors. They'll know that I'm loving because of my behaviors instead of first looking to identity. No, Jesus has come and invited me into his kingdom, and now I get to live among his kingdom right now. And so Paul is saying our identity must always drive our behaviors the world says no 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 love yourself be hedonistic find joy in yourself and find joy in your own things and here I'm going to drive this home just a little bit harder I really want you to to sit in this for a bit because I want us to really understand our need for Jesus before we're all done and so um have you guys ever heard of the one another's of scripture anyone ever heard of this one of you okay cool two two uh, okay yeah, the baptist people have okay and um well there's the one another's of scripture and uh I had not ever heard of this. I wasn't raised in church. There's a lot of things about church I don't know. And, um, and so I came across this and I thought this was fantastic. There's 59 commands in scripture um, that call us to love one another um, or just the one another. So there's different things that we should do to one another that, that models our identity and models our love for one another. There's 59 of them that's in scripture. And so I want to read them because I want to, um, I have two reasons. I want to just let us set under the weight of how scripture calls us to love one another or pursue one another as Christians. And then I also want us to, to see this beautiful picture of Jesus in this. And here's kind of, if you're a, a, a tweeter, right, here's kind of the, the big idea of even the whole sermon. And what we're going to see in here is that Jesus has created a love that we cannot recreate, Jesus has created a love that we cannot recreate, but the Holy Spirit can. And I want you to just see and just feel the weight of these one another's. I don't know if I'll read all of them. I have them all in my notes, but I'm going to read some of them. So just they're not going to be on the screen. Just listen to my voice. He says this all throughout the text. Be at peace with one another. That's Mark. Do not grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Romans, wait for one another before beginning the Eucharist. That's communion. We're going to do that here in a moment. Don't bite, devour, or consume one another. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Be gentle and patient and tolerate one another. Be kind to one another. Bear and forgive one another's burdens. Seek good for one another. Love one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another. You guys are like, yeah, I got that one. Tolerate, I can do that. Greet one another with a kiss. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as important. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. It's a command in scripture. Don't be haughty. That means arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another in reverence to (laughs) Christ. Literally, treat one another as if that individual was Jesus Christ standing in front of you. You feel that weight? Be reverent to one another. Don't judge one another. Greet one another with a kiss. The single guys were like, hey, hey, yeah. All right. Husbands and wives, don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. The husband's like, I, I knew it was in there somewhere. It's in there. Okay. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another. Pray For one another, be hospital. Like, do you feel this weight of, like, man, this is how we are called? And what we see within this text is not legalism, it's not works righteousness. What we see is that Jesus has created a love that we cannot recreate, but the Holy Spirit can. And for Christians, we've been invited into a new identity, and that identity will drive our behaviors by the power of the Holy Spirit and only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not work harder and measure up and just try to love more. It's no, no, no. Just believe your identity is in Jesus Christ, and he, by the power of his Spirit, will propel you forward in love to love the saints. And whenever we understand this, then, then we actually begin to desire more of Jesus, which leads to the second point. Belief then precedes our desires. So belief precedes our behavior, and when we understand how um, the depths of Christ's love for us, it then begins to reshape and reform our desires. And so Paul continues his prayer in verse 17. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does that mean? That you may know. And so Paul is, is, is praying this this really long, wordy, um, poorly written prayer for his church, for one of the churches he's helped start from prison. <laughs> And Paul is essentially saying this. He's saying, You have faith, you have identity, right? For this reason, I can't stop praying for you. You have faith, you have identity. I see that in your behavior and your love, that's evident. Paul's also saying, I understand you have some doctrine, you have some knowledge, you have some wisdom, you have some understanding. My prayer though, church, that's what Paul's saying, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would actually use that doctrine, use that knowledge, even use those behaviors to awaken a desire in you to want to know more and experience more of Jesus Christ. So saying like, you know all these things, that's That's awesome. Who cares if it doesn't actually lead you to a deeper desire of Jesus? And so what he's challenging us on here is belief and knowledge and the two differences um, in these words. And so knowledge is pretty straightforward. It's kind of a mental understanding of something, right? Like, you know you're setting at Trailhead Church. You can articulate that, hopefully. You might not know everything about Trailhead and who all the leaders and where all the community groups are and all the people's names, but you know you're here. You have some knowledge about that. That's easy. Belief is when things begin to get a little tricky, and belief is whenever something has taken up root inside of us, and it begins to shape, and to form, and to reform our perspectives. It begins to shape, and form, and reform even our worldview, okay? For the Christians, this happens through the power of the Spirit. The gospel begins to give us a new lens for how we uh, view the world around us, and so Paul's prayer here is that God would use this knowledge, right? Use this head knowledge within the church of Ephesus, and then it might actually break their hearts to desire a more beautiful and bigger picture as to who Jesus is. And here's why. Because you can love people really well and not desire Jesus, right? There's very loving people in the world, not just Christians. It'd be ignorant of us to think that. You can desire community, CrossFit, PTA, golf course, fill in the blank. You can desire community and not actually desire Jesus, right? The spirit has to do something in us for us to desire him. There are plenty of non-Christians or what we call not yet Christians or atheist men and women philosophers, not philosophers, brilliant men and women that are not Christians that know far more about Jesus than many of us in this room, yet they don't have a desire for Jesus, and that's because they've not, um, their identity has not been changed by the power of the Spirit to lead them to a new behavior of desire. You guys still with me? So yeah. Okay. You see this in the text? Okay. And so they have even doctrinal understanding, but not spiritual understanding or an awakening in the Holy Spirit. And, and many of you, right, you know a lot about Christianity. You maybe know a lot about Jesus, but is it shaping your behaviors? And so in that, like, Is the gospel or is your identity shaping the way you view the next neighborhood you move into? Or is it the school district? For college students, is your identity shaping your degree and what you're pursuing in college? Or is it something else? Is it potential job success? Like how does the gospel shape and form and reform our desires um, every day? Even as we go to work, many of us work 40, 50, some 60 hours a week. Is the gospel shaping and forming and reforming the way that we view our vocation? Do we view it as a place to go be a servant or view it as a place to go be a missionary? Or is it just 40 hours a week and a paycheck? And I was thinking about this this week. Here's here's how you can very practically know if your identity is giving you new desires. If you've been at your job for longer than six months and you just don't know the stories of your coworkers that work shoulder to shoulder with you every day, then your belief is not driving your desires. Like, if, just, if we as a church, at minimum, if, if we as a church, at minimum, cannot know the stories of the people that we interact with daily, then we need to rethink what it means to be a church. You guys with me? Like, like I'm not even saying go out and stand on a picnic bench and shake a Bible at somebody. I'm saying, like, can you know your brother's name at church and his wife's name and whether or not he has kids? Like, if not, belief is not shaping desire. Identity is not driving behaviors. And so, in this, the gospel should shape and form and reform the way we view everything, not just the way we come to church on Sunday. This is easy. This is the easiest thing you'll do all week hour, hour and a half. I'm maybe a little shorter preacher than, shorting on time than than Steve, so amen, right? But (laughs) do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's got to shape and form and reform everything about us. And and, and so it's not just doctrinal knowledge. Who cares? Brand new Christians don't know anything about Jesus, but they're freaking jacked about him, right? So who cares about knowledge and doctrine at that point? It's important. Amen. Yes, I'm here. I'm, I'm reshaping and reforming your doctrine right now, right? But who cares if it doesn't lead us to something else? And so Paul continues and he says, I want the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And so Paul's pleading with this church from a jail cell. And he's saying, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to desire Jesus intimately. I want you to to, to want him. And so at Heights, this is where I say things are going to get HC-17. What that means is, We're not quite um, Cinemax, we're still ABC family, but we're going to get a little inappropriate with each other, okay? And so if you have kids, this is earmuff time, okay? The word here for for no um, has much greater weight to it in the Greek and the Hebrew than it does in the English. And so the word here, no, that, that Paul uses specifically in the Greek is used elsewhere in Scripture to talk about sex, he knew her. He knew her not. Uh, many of you, whether you're a Christian or not, are familiar with the Christmas story, right? Joseph and Mary. What does it say about Joseph and Mary? It says, he knew her not until that she had conceived and bore a son. And so Paul is, is using this, this, this very um, this heavy word here in the text. And, and, I, and I share that bit about sex, because even as we think about sex, sex is something that, that's intimate, It's something personal. Um, It's something that involves the whole body. It involves some wisdom, some knowledge, some understanding, absolutely. But it also involves everything that we are. Right? It's, it's the only place that we can come completely exposed before someone. In our culture, pornography has tried to rob us of that intimacy, hasn't it? Right? It's allowed people to know a lot about sex, but it's robbed many men and women from actually experiencing true intimacy with one another. And Paul's saying here, like, I want you to intimately know him, not just head knowledge. Don't just sit back and watch, but actually get in the game. Be a part of it intimately know him, full body experience, not just knowledge. He doesn't discount knowledge, though. He says it many times. I want you to know what, wisdom and knowledge and revelation. I want the eyes of your hearts um, opened and enlightened. I want the veil to be removed. But he finishes that with, that you may know. You may be intimately connected and desiring of Jesus, something that is shaping and forming and reforming everything about us. And then he goes on and he says, there's three things that, that I want you to desire. And so this is just simply our application. There's three things that I want you specifically to desire because as you desire these three things, you're actually going to get a bigger and more beautiful picture as to who Jesus Christ is. You're going to better understand your identity. You're going to better understand your behaviors. He's going to increase your desire for him. And so there's three things if you're a note taker. They'll be up here, but in sequence, they are hope, inheritance, and power. If you're a note taker, hope, inheritance, and power. The first one, he says, I want you to desire hope in Christ. And so as we're continuing through the text, he says that you may know, that you may know what is the hope intimately, desire the hope to which he has called you. Hope is interesting because hope is an expectation for belief. Uh, It's an expectation that something will happen that something has been initiated and something will absolutely happen. And so Paul is praying that the Spirit would reveal such deep truths of Jesus to this church that they could not help but desire him. And so as we come back to like our world, though, and our culture, there's lots of things that skew our hope, right? Uncertainty, for example. We mentioned jobs and kids, and so uncertainty about jobs and job positions and children and calendar, all of these things um, can lead us to doubt. They can lead us to a lack of hope. The the world regularly tries to rob us of our hope and leave us um, hopeless. And whenever uncertainty strikes, we believe that we can fix it right? Like we believe we can bring joy. We're hedonistic. We've talked about this. We believe that we can fix the problem. We think that that we can either just shut down and kind of recluse back into ourselves, kind of binge watch some Netflix and everything will just work itself out magically somehow. I don't know how that works for you. It doesn't work for me. Or quite the opposite, we become works righteous. We're like, well, if I just pull myself up, buy my bootstraps, kind of roll my sleeves up, I can go to work and I can fix this thing. Also does not work very well for us. And so, example, I just walked through um, premarital counseling and I officiated a wedding. I hear Trailhead had a wedding too. Amen. That's super cool, right? And so uh, I had a, tr- uh, a wedding last night in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, um, about five hours from here, and drove back late last night. And so, um, I'm a little loopy. It's not just the coffee, it's also lack of sleep. And so, um, and so I did this wedding for this couple, and this couple practices um, what's called yogi. You might be familiar with yogi or Sikh? Okay, well, no, okay, you say no, it's okay. Um, Well, yogi is whenever yoga becomes something more than a workout, and it becomes a spiritualism, it becomes yogi. Yogi um, has designed this, and it's kind of centered around what's called transcendental meditation. You guys familiar with transcendental meditation? No, thank you, yeah, yeah, thank you. That's so good, yeah, um... Well, I only am because my my best friend practices this thing. So we've been part of um, We have to live on mission for our best friends as well. And so, in that, what what it teaches transcendental meditation teaches us to, to shut our minds down, to kind of just relax, to recluse away from problems and uncertainties, things that bring hopelessness, everything we're describing here. To just shut that down and just let a steady stream of consciousness just kind of run through there, right? Just kind of recluse back. From those things, and in doing so, it'll actually open up your mind to other things, which actually makes no sense when you really dig into it. And so, the, whats oh, I wasn't trying to be funny, I was being serious, but, um, but Christianity is actually quite the opposite. Right. And so what Paul is saying is, no, 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 don't shut your mind down. Don't recluse. Christianity is not a self help book. Self help does that too, right? You're angry, you're depressed, you're upset. Let's shy away from those things. Let's get away from that. And instead we'll we'll think about other things. Let's fill our times other ways. That's just a different form of transcendental meditation. That's hedonistic, right? I'm seeking joy. Christianity is much different in that the gospel says, No, fill your mind, right? Fill your mind with the truths of Scripture. Fill your mind with the hope that is in Christ. Fill your mind with this new identity. And then Paul even says in Ephesians 2, if we were to keep reading, he says, remember, know, understand, fill your mind with these things, that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God, In the world. And so Paul's saying, no, no, fill your mind with these things. Doctrine is good, understanding is good, but let that identity lead you into something far deeper than what you have or are currently experiencing, right? So he's saying, know these truths. Don't be just hedonistic. Don't just search out joy for self. Rather, look to Christ to be your ultimate source of joy. That comes from hope and knowing that we were once dead and alienated from Jesus Christ, but because of his work and his performance and his place on the cross, we are brought back into covenant relationship with him. And so how do you know if you hope in Jesus? I have a a pastor friend, good friend, and he, he asks this question of his church all the time. He says, are you just crazy in love with Jesus? How do you know if you hope in him? Are you crazy in love with him? Like, is Jesus actually your hope? Do you run to Jesus and pray to Jesus? Are you um, excited about learning new truths about Jesus, right? Are you just a freak about Jesus? This is what he would say. I just stole it from him, right? But I cited him, so we're good students. See that? So, like, yeah, you know, and Christians will say, yeah, I hope in Christ. Be like, what does that actually mean, right? What does it actually mean, if Jesus is not on the forefront of your mind in parenting or in school or in work or where you buy your next home or your whole reason for going to work, if he's not on the forefront, then you don't hope in him. You hope in self. That's hedonistic, right? You become God, whether you fill your mind with more stuff to do or whether you recluse back, it's your kingdom and your God and you're going to work it out to your joy and to your good pleasure. And Paul's saying, no, like, we must fill our minds with the hope of Jesus. We were dead and now we have the opportunity to be made alive. And this is good news. This is the gospel. And so if you can go days without delighting in Jesus and and hoping in Jesus, then, or if you can go days claiming to be a Christian and not actually open God's word, you don't hope in him. Or if you can go days and claim, yeah, I'm a Christian, but not actually spend time in intimate prayer and praying expectations for God to fulfill the hopes that he's given you, you don't hope in him. You hope in self. It's your kingdom, your God, and it's a hopeless kingdom. It's a hedonistic kingdom that will only bring you temporal joy. Whenever God has said, no, Jesus has said, no, I'm giving you hope, eternal hope and satisfaction in me. You can have this for eternity. And all this is a part of what <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, inheritance. Inheritance. So it's not just that we have hope, but we also have inheritance in Christ, which is the second point of hap- application. And Paul says, I want you to desire. I want you to know the inheritance that's been given to you through Christ. He says, what are the riches. Now this blows my mind. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Okay, what are the riches of, what does it say? His glorious inheritance, We're at, in the saints. You guys see that? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The saints. This is some of the most beautiful stuff that you're going to hear this week for sure. What is Jesus' inheritance? Us, yeah. So like in Colossians, it says, Everything is created in, for, by, and through Jesus. He will receive all things. All things will be brought under his headship. Even here at the end of chapter 1 in Ephesians, he says he brought everything under the authority of Jesus, even the church, even the body. Jesus' says, head over us, head over all things, Right so in this is this beautiful picture that what is Jesus inheritance everything it's his glorious inheritance not ours initially his glorious inheritance but where is it it's in the saints This is beautiful like this is so crazy to me just if you just knew my thoughts alone on how sinful i am right How rebellious I am in my heart towards my wife, and when I over discipline my kids, and when I want to over discipline my church, right? When I just want to yell at them and be works based and works righteous, right? And then I read this text as a man, and I think, I'm his inheritance. Like, how crazy is that to think about? You're Jesus' inheritance, you're part of all things. He wants to invite you into the kingdom and restore all things to you. That's because you've been given new identity. Does this not make you want to desire him more? Like, I just want to read this and know, like, holy smokes, what's in here for me? What's awaiting me in this beautiful day whenever all things come under the authority of Jesus Christ and heaven and earth in a beautiful collision collide, Right? And I receive that by the power of Jesus because I'm a son. He says in Ephesians 1, we're family. To receive the firstborn inheritance of sons, we get to receive all things. And so while we are um, regularly failing to desire our maker, but here's what's so crazy about this. Jesus right now interceding for us to the Father is waiting in, antiger, um, in eager anticipation to invite his sons and daughters into his kingdom forever just picture a dad impatiently waiting a son or daughter to come home. Jesus is waiting on us to come home to him so he can wrap his arms around us and receive us, the creator of all things. Does that blow your minds just a little bit? Okay, every has got a lot of crickets. Okay, good. It blows my mind. I, just, so, I, it was, even, I was all free. I do not even in my notes. know where I'm going. And so he said in, in two, though, that we were dead, right? We were hopeless. We were out inheritance. We were without identity. And so in this, like, I have to be clear as a pastor that if you've not professed faith in Jesus, not just in knowledge, not just in doctrine, we know a lot of good things about him, but actually in belief, then Paul says we are still spiritually dead, we are without hope. We are without inheritance. We are without identity. But if we have professed faith in Jesus, then we've been made alive by his spirit that there is only hope for us. There's only inheritance. There's only eternity where we get to come in and dine at the table of our king. And so, Paul, again, driving home, not just doctrine, intimate tie, intimate desire for Jesus Christ. And so, in that, I hope it causes some of you to question your faith. I hope it causes some of you to think, man, do I really believe this? Or is this just something I know? Another quote that I pulled out this week was Tim Keller. And he says, "Um, the only thing harder than being an atheist in this world is to be a Christian who believes thinly. You hear that? The only thing harder than being an atheist in this world is to be a Christian who believes thinly. He's talking about in in light of suffering in in the midst of that quote. Like, I want you to really be challenged and to think through, is this something I believe or is it something that I just know? that he has given us everything. Here's how this frees us. If we have received full inheritance in Christ, then we don't need anything better. Like the solution is not a better spouse. You don't know my spouse. I don't need to know your spouse, right? The solution then is not, well, I need better kids. I don't know your kids. The trailhead workers know your kids. They know they're crazy, right? They're with you. I don't need a better job, I don't need more money, I don't need more time, I don't need a better calendar, I don't need to finish the to-dos, I don't need um, a better, what fill in the blank, resume, application, whatever it is. Because we've been given all things in Christ Jesus. And he says this is, this is only possible by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read, continue, we'll finish out, we're going to land the plane with this, Ephesians 1, 19. And just listen to the power of Jesus in this. Just listen to this and read if you can. Nineteen. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things in the church." Which he, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, you just see the power and greatness of Jesus in that text. This is so rich and so good, and this text is is so fun. This is also a, what I'm about to get into. This is why you need a good ESV Study Bible. If you need it, if you don't have an ESV Study Bible, um, we'll, we'll just use Trailhead's budget, and we'll get you guys one. Okay? So, no, I don't have it. I need one. I'm really good at spending other people's money. Okay. And so, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> this is why we need a good Bible, though, to, to look at what some of this says. Paul says the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And so if you were to bust out that ESV study and you, you were to look into it, it says some really great things in the Greek. and unpacks it for us. And so I want to set in this for you because I, I just love what Paul is saying. And so I'm teach you a little bit of Greek, you know. Um, so immeasurable, the, word, the Greek word here for immeasurable is, is hyperbalo. You might want to try saying it. Hey, you're talking to me. There you go. It took 35 minutes, but good. Hyperbolo, yeah. What, what, what root word do you think you get from hyperbolo? Hyper, hyper, right? You got some kids. You know that. Greatness is megathos. Somebody say megathos. megathos. Yeah. What, what? What? What root word? What do you think? Megathos. Mega man, right? Mega man, that's right. So, power. Power is a fun one. Dunamis, dunamis, What do you think comes from that? Explosion dynamite, dynamite. Dude, this is so fun. Paul is on a straight rant here, church. He's like a Southern Baptist pastor in an overcoat, just littered with alliterations. Let me just tell you, he's like, it's hyper, it's mega, it's dynamite. That's essentially what it's saying here in the Greek, right? It just makes me think of that imagery. It's hyper, he's high, he's holy, he's, you know, what? I, I wasn't raised in church, I just, I just put things, I just assume things, and so... Um, But in the text, he's saying, like, this is some hyper-mega-dynamite type of power. Like, do you understand? Like, that's kind of fun, right? Amen? It's fun. But also, like, do you feel the weight that Paul is putting on the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us hope and that sustains us in inheritance? That is the same power of Christ that also preserves us in this inheritance called perseverance of the saints. And so no matter how doubtful or how hopeless or how jacked up and sinful we get, the Holy Spirit, even though it might be by a thread, is clinging on to us and keeping us into the gates of heaven. That's the power of Christ that allows us to do that. Paul has just said to us, this power is the power that allows Jesus to rule and reign over all of creation right, over all of creation while he is seated next to his Father. is hyper type of power. This is a power that propels Jesus, Paul says, above every rule, above every authority in this age, which was 2,000 years ago in the text, but also in this age right now. And then in the age 17,000 years from now, Jesus Christ is still going to be ruling um, supremely in full power. You with me? This is the type of power that Paul's talking about. This is the type of power, Trailhead Church, that drives us to desire more of Jesus. Desire does not come outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so belief must happen in order us for to ever even desire Jesus. That belief even comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are his body. We are his inheritance. He's eagerly anticipating us, and, and he wants us to desire him. Why? So that other people might desire him. The gospel always leads to mission. It always leads to, to, a, to fulfilling God's mission. So here's what is also crazy about this, is that we are literally then called to be the power of Jesus to the world. And the crazy thing about, we are literally called to be the power of Jesus to the world. And so, as we live out behavior, as we live out identity and live out these behaviors and desire more about Jesus, that's actually attractional to people. As we love all of the saints, together collectively, that love in the gospel actually becomes an apologetic to people who don't profess faith in the same things that we do. Do you see this? It's so crazy awesome to be a part of, and it simply comes from the power and work of Jesus. We've been invited into a new hope. We were once dead, and now we're alive. We receive the full inheritance of Christ. Our good dad is waiting on us to bring us back to... um, back into the promise for some of us who are already there, and then we're sustained by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whenever we get this, not just in doctrine, okay, not just in knowledge, not just in understanding, but with belief as these truths begin to form and to reform and shape the way we view the world around us, people will be attracted to that. And, And we will become better spouses. We will become better parents. We will become better students. We'll become better not because we worked really hard, but because Jesus worked perfectly in our place as our substitute. Amen? Hey, let me pray for us, and then we'll do communion. God, thank you so much um, for bringing me here to Trailhead, where I got started, which is, oh man, just such an honor to come back and share in God's Word with um, this church. And Steve and Lauren have been um, very, very close to me and to my wife, Andrea, and to our own kids. And so... Um, God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the good work that you're doing here. Even as um, Clint gets up and talks about offering and this, this people giving, I'm a representative of that giving to a local mission just eight miles from here. And so I thank you for their sacrificial giving. I thank you for the building space you're, you're, you're building out for them, for the new leaders that they've brought on as elders in the last um, few months. And you're doing amazing things here. And so God, i got to give you all the, 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 um, the, the glory for that. Um, I thank you for your, your good work here. I pray that you would continue uh, that good work. We pray all this in Jesus' name, by the gift and power of his spirit. Amen.